Welcome to It Is What It Is. I'm Corbin. And I'm Anthony. We've been on this uh, series of the question, what is free will, right? And we've looked at determinism, and we've looked at libertarianism, not the political kind. And uh, today we're going to look at a third kind, compatibilism. Uh, but first, we wanted to talk about the NBA, since, you know, it's finals time. At the time of this recording, we are in uh, a game three is actually tonight. There's so many um, people that put emphasis on championship rings, and I never have. And one of the reasons is I feel like it really comes down to a lot of lucky circumstances. So, yes, there's you've got to have talent. You have to have a good game plan and, and work effectively as a team. But you also have to either avoid injuries or overcome the injuries at the right point in time. You have to face the teams that are a good, good matchup for you. Um, sometimes you can have a, a lesser team that's just your kryptonite because they've got one player or one feature that they do that messes with your system. And so I've always kind of thought the playoffs are fun. I'm glad that the players are motivated by a championship to play their hardest. But I just really don't care who the winner is because I don't, that's not how I assess the quality of a basketball team or a player. Um, but that being said, it's exciting to see teams try to figure each other out, go after each other night after night, and they have time to game plan for that opponent. And can they figure out a way around it? That's that's always fun. Yeah, it kind of, I don't know why, but I feel like the NBA playoffs, like the regular season, there's some randomness as to whether a team can win or not. There's some decision making and obviously like some injuries, right? Like your star player gets hurt, then like a team that has like five wins on the season could possibly overcome that and some of it's like uh like excitement over the matchup like we could actually beat the lakers when they're like down five men or some of it's like just you know sheer randomness but i think that the playoff narrative as we've talked about kind of demonstrates some of these aspects that we've been talking about for the past few weeks the you know determinism versus libertarianism versus today's compatibilism. And I don't know anything about compatibilism, so I'd like uh, for you to kind of like help illuminate the pathway for me. <laughs> All right, well, we'll see what we can do. So one question that I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on, but I think we have to discuss when we're, we're talking about this question of free will, is what does it mean to be the source of actions, the, the agent? Um, so I think typically in an incompatibilist argument, and incompatibilism says that determinism and free will are incompatible with one another. If one is true, the other is false. So in an incompatibilist picture, either you as an agent have the ultimate say over your actions or you do not. Prior, prior circumstances and effects are going to determine your actions. And so what it means to be the source of your actions or an agent is to be the ultimate source, that nothing can have forced you or chosen for you or determined for you what you were going to do. In a compatibilist picture, that's not necessarily the case. It, compatibilism is going to say, no, we can have causal determinism be a, a real feature of the universe. It's true that everything is causally determined. But also, we have something like free agency, free will. And there's different explanations of how that can work, but, but one important thing is we redefine what it means to be the source of your actions. So yes, there are external circumstances in your environment that cause chemicals in your body to uh, interact you know, in your brain, you have electric, electricity firing in your neurons, and you do an action. But the question is, 
are the components that determine that action components of you? Like instead of thinking that they're components inside of you, redefine that your body is you as the agent. And so if your body is producing these effects, then you are the agent. And then the question is, were you able to produce those effects without being coerced? So either stopped by or compelled by an external force. So if somebody wraps, uh, puts me in a machine that lifts my arm for me, uh, like, like a full robot, right? It pulls my arm up. That wasn't my action because it wasn't anything in my body that determined that action. But if I uh, raise my arm, then even if it was caused by prior uh, causal effects and causal chains, it's something that happened in my body. And as the agent, nothing forced me other than those prior events. There's no external kind of feature that's causing that. And so I'm the source of my actions. So one of the things in capitalism is what does it mean to be an agent? Uh, that's a really interesting way to frame it, especially because you talked about um, like one of the things with determinism to me is this like lack of um, separation between like external and internal forces, you know, like something in the world like a bear right shows up and causes me to be scared. But like that bear and its pheromones uh, induce physiological things in my body that start to do stuff. Um, but thinking about it in terms of, you know, me as a whole entity is an agent versus just like the chemical reactions in my brain or just my consciousness uh, kind of, I think, maybe helps wrap your head around some of these ideas that we're thinking about today. Yeah, I think part of it is if I am my body, then it's fair to attribute the things that my body does to me instead of thinking about it as something that happens to me. It's something I am doing. So um, one question is, is that enough to constitute free agency or not? Um, uh, I'm not going to translate. <laughs> you said free agency. Are we about to get paid millions of dollars here? Right, right. <laughs> it is almost the off season, probably sooner than later if the heat can't pull out the kind <laughs> uh, of yeah, so so what do you think uh is that enough to constitute agency in your mind? So yeah, I think that clarifies agency and you know, if I am all of me, right? Uh I think before I was distinguishing free, you know, like my own conscious thoughts as separate from like the things that my body does. And so like you know, things happen to my consciousness and I my consciousness maybe does things to myself. Um, but there's also this, you know, deeper, you know, we talked last week about, um, I am able to perceive and experience my experiences. And there seems to be like a, you know, you use the word metaphysical. There seems to be like a metaphysical level to this. It's like, not only do I perceive the things around me and I can think about them, but I can also think about the thinking about things like, you know, if I get into an argument argument with my boss, right, I can think about like that conversation made me mad. Why did I think about getting mad in that moment? And like I can process this whole chain of events without actually doing anything. How does that play into this uh, conversation? That's really good. So um, Harry Frankfurt, Frankfurt actually argues in along this line that we have first order desires, which is what we want to do. And then we have higher order desires, which is where we either endorse or 
or condemn our desires. So either I want to want to do something or I don't want to want that thing. Uh, the, the first order of desire is the same. So the example would be like, I want to have pizza. And then the higher order desire is, I want to want to have pizza. Like I'm okay with that decision. It's time to treat myself or whatever. Uh, I don't feel like cooking and, and I am okay with eating the pizza or I don't want to want the pizza because I'm trying to work on my nutrition and, and health and maybe I've been eating poorly lately. And so I ought not to eat the pizza. I still want to, and I'm and that want, that desire may cause me to eat pizza. But if I don't desire the desire to have pizza, then I'm being compelled by something physiological that uh, supersedes my higher order thinking. Whereas if I want to want the pizza, like, I don't care, it's time for me to have some pizza, I want that salt, and I really want to enjoy it, then I'm free in the sense that my higher order thinking endorses the actions that my body is taking in response to its environment. It's like you know me, because like that whole argument was it felt very pointed in my direction. <laughs> <laughs> I always want to want the pizza, but I also don't <laughs> want to want to eat eight slices of pizza. And yet... <laughs> It happens every time. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, this comes in, in line when we talk about addictions and things like that. Like um, people feel compelled towards certain desires and actions. And we um, sometimes from the outside might not differentiate someone who just wants to have pizza versus someone who feels compelled against their will to have pizza um, because we're not aware of the internal kind of processes and thoughts that they're having. We just see the action. So one form of compatibilism is to say the freedom aspect is at the higher order level, not at the first order level. That's really interesting. And um, we had this conversation many weeks ago about decision making in with regards to basketball, right? And uh, at that time, I thought about decision making, at least within the context of a game, as you know, something that's sort of subconscious, like the decisions happen so quickly that you can't actually think about them. But I know for a fact that's not true, right? I play basketball, you play basketball. You know that like there is some moments where like you, you pull up for a shot, you're wide open, you know, that might be muscle memory kind of thing. But there's some things where you're like, okay, if I can cross over here and cross back over, I know that I have Corbin in this position, so then I can do one, two, or three different things with the ball in that <laughs> moment. That's kind of like freewheeling aspect of it. Sorry, I don't mean to put you on blast here. <laughs> no, no. I know in that moment, I'm not going to want to want to jump at that jump bait, shot bait, but I'm going to anyway. Yeah. And uh, so... You know, I wanted to bring this back to basketball decision making because there's so many nuanced things that happen when, you know, when you're making decisions in basketball. And I think now because it's the finals, it's like the perfect time to re to visit, revisit this conversation. Um, you had mentioned something to me earlier about uh, rookie interviews in the context of of uh, decision making. Yeah. So uh Pretty much every rookie gets asked, what's the biggest adjustment that you have to make? Or what's the biggest change from the basketball you're used to to now playing in the NBA? And without fail, uh, it's the speed of the game. Everybody says the game is so much faster. Um, it just comes at you so quickly. And I think one of the um, things that this kind of reveals, um, this discussion of compatibilism and higher order thinking, is that 
maybe we can understand the decision-making skill that comes along with being a superstar in the NBA with that feeling that some rookies or sophomore players talk about the game slowing down for them. Like they catch up to the speed of the game and they're able to think in real time and see more options on the floor and, and do more things. Maybe that's a, a matter of something like more experience and exposure to NBA strategies and gameplay allows you to process more of the uh, features of the game in, in real time. And so you can endorse certain actions or not. So if normally I'm trying to pass the ball into the post, um, maybe I'm reading the defense better and getting a better sense of the pace of game to realize that's a bad idea. They're baiting me to throw the ball in there. And so now I don't endorse that that action and I'm instead endorsing another one. So maybe at a, a kind of that higher order, um, what is the best decision to make? Maybe that's where that feature of good decision-making actually comes in and not at the first order of like what I'm doing physically with the ball. Yeah, I think that allows us also to tease out this idea of habituation. You know, instead of instead of just running to the corner and dumping it into the post literally every play, and some players do that, you can see that it's been mm -hmm. coached into them and ingrained into them that they don't really make decisions out there. Um, but you see a guy like LeBron James who, uh, in basketball, they, they use the word options, right? You go down to a, a certain spot, and now you have like four options, and you can within the context of a play, you can make these options. But the defense does something, and the players react to that. And so when we talked about the best decision makers, it's like those who can actually process within the speed of the game, you know, the options that are laid out for them, the you know the normal pattern of habituation that they normally take, and then, uh, you know, when people are doing things that are outside of the bounds of the play or the process, they think, oh, there's something else that I can do here that even isn't part of the play. And I mm -hmm. think that really helps distinguish like the best from like the not best. Do, does that make sense? It does. So I want to say two things and I'll try to keep it brief. Um, one is that we could understand this discussion of decision-making in terms of libertarianism and say that that demonstration that in real time you can actually make a choice between alternatives is something actually free that the player can do. And so therefore they must have free will um, in, a, in a completely libertarian sense. Or we can think of this in a compatibilist sense that um, each time we encounter situations where those kind of uh, decisions are made, at a higher order, the more times I don't endorse a current action, maybe that will impact future situations where instead of uh, making those actions, maybe I'll go practice, therefore, that scenario to make a different action so that in future situations, I am endorsing, I'm doing an action that I would endorse. So, so maybe um, we can read this either as libertarian or compatibilist, depending on whether we actually can do anything different or if just the way that we endorse or don't endorse our decisions changes future occasions. Um, so that's, that's the main issue I wanted to say. And then just secondly is I think it's really neat that we can therefore take the question of deter determinism off the table in regards to your claim that decision-making is, is what makes a superstar great because it doesn't really matter what we mean by decision-making in a free will sense as much as we understand that the agent is, is doing, are doing the things um, that we would attribute to being a good player or not. Yeah, I wanted to, uh, I, for, I forgot actually if you had mentioned um, this idea of like 
the process of processing the speed of the game? Had we talked about that at all? Uh, not really. I just mentioned that the, the players, younger players, say that the game slows down okay. as they get. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so you had mentioned earlier that you know the rookies always say the speed of the game is the most challenging thing. And, you know, we definitely see players who develop differently. Some players, uh, they fall out of the league, and probably it's because they don't adjust to the speed of the game. And some players excel, and they turn into LeBron James, Kevin Durant, uh, the like. And, you know, we've been saying that they that they make the best decisions. But the one thing that I think helps make this, um, this agency more clear is that, you know, when you think about the speed of the game... When you play a game for the first time, especially a high-paced one like um, like basketball, I play a lot of Rocket League. And in the beginning, people were just like driving past me, and I felt like I couldn't do anything in the game. Um, but as you experience more and as you get adjusted to what possible decisions you can make and how your body can react in those situations, you start to think things through. And as you adjust to the speed of the game you're able to make you know your brain is able to process more things and i don't mean to say your brain separately from our consciousness but you as an agent are able to make uh more you're able to have more thoughts about what's happening around you and at some point you know imagine at the nba level you're able to have thoughts about the thoughts that you're experiencing so not only are you thinking about what choices you can make but you're thinking about which choices you should make versus which you shouldn't. And the players who tend to drop out of the league, I would probably argue that they don't ever get to that point. That being said, I do think it's time to summarize and review the the three possibilities. And you had brought up an example of pro wrestling that I think is a really good way of, of kind of tidying up this, this series. Yeah, I love me some metaphysical discussion of pro wrestling. Uh, so if you've never seen pro wrestling before and, uh, Corbin, have you actually ever watched pro wrestling? I have seen a couple of events. Okay. Yeah. It's something I've sought out or grew up with, but I, I would be at people's homes and, and we'd watch it. Yeah. So what's interesting is that, um, you know, the biggest thing that everybody says is wrestling is fake and that's true to a certain extent, right? It's pre-scripted. Yes. Um, so, you know, I go into a match I'm the, you know, determinator versus <laughs> uh, versus your liberator. And it's prescribed to me, like, before the match, like, okay, the liberator is going to win this match. And so I have to go in uh, understanding that outcome. But within the match itself, I have to work with you to put on a great performance. And so, you know, we do a bunch of moves, we tell a story throughout the match, and the, it has to culminate in this one outcome, but the things we do and say during the match, they're not scripted. You know, they're, maybe we practice a few things, um, but everything we do is, you know, is up to our own free will, so to speak. And likewise, you know, in, in interviews in pro wrestling, we're having an argument we have to know that it builds this builds up this part of the narrative, but the things that we say and do are unscripted. So I can pull up stuff that maybe some fans don't even know about in your personal history as a way to just like get myself over 
in that moment. And you can, you know, clap back with something else. And we can just tell this great narrative that builds up our rivalry. But, you know, no matter what, the outcome is still the same. So given that context, how does this fit into the three worldviews that we've talked about? Yeah, so just to summarize then, um, under a determinist view, causal determinism, <clears throat> the script that's written in an explicit sense is not the only thing that's determined. So even the freedom that we have to fill in with moves or whatever is going to be caused by, or if you will, scripted by reality. Like the prior events of the environment are going to um, cause our bodies to do different things that will culminate in actions towards that scripted result. Uh, none of that is a choice. It's, it, we might think about them as choices. We might have conscious thoughts uh, about what we're doing and, and how we're reacting to one another. And of course, there's speech involved, but all of that is completely caused by prior causes. Under a libertarian view, there's complete freedom in the unscripted areas. So, or maybe not complete, but there's uh, things that we can choose, alternatives we can choose between that would fit in that script and that we literally, or, or not literally, that we truly can choose alternatives. We can do A or B or C, and then the other person has to react to those with options A, B, or C of their own. And we fill in the gaps and then we get to, okay, but at this point we're going to do D no matter what. And so there's libertarianism would say, it can be scripted and have free will. There's nothing constraining free will, including our willingness to go along with the script or not. Under compatibilism, we have the fact that reality does compel all the actions in the whole course of uh, events of the, of the wrestling match. And the script tells us what the outcome is going to be. But we can endorse or not endorse the actions leading up to that. Like, first of all, I can endorse the outcome of the script or I can be unhappy with it, but still I'm going to go along with it. Um, so I might feel compelled. I might not feel like I have free will because I don't endorse losing in this match. I think my character should win for the narrative, but I still go along with it. And so in that sense, I would say I wasn't free. But if I endorse the losing, because it's a great story and it's going to culminate in, in me making a good paycheck or whatever, uh, then I can say I was free to lose in that match, even though it was scripted. And of course, that applies to all the intermediate actions as well. There's actually a term in wrestling and I can't remember what it's called, but um, there's like two components to that last bit that you said. One is um, sometimes when a person doesn't go along with the outcome, they do what this what's called a squash match, where the player who's supposed the the actor who's supposed to win will just totally decimate the other person so that they don't have any chance in like what the outcome is going to be. Uh, but likewise, if a person doesn't want to go along with it, but they don't like vocalize that they do this thing where they basically like don't participate in the match at all and totally like ruin the performance aspect of the wrestling so i find that it's really interesting that like these like little metaphysical things like leak into the actual performance yeah yeah that's interesting so higher order and, and first order desires i think is is a completely legitimate analysis whether we attribute it to a compatibilist or incompatibilist picture that being said, um, wrestling is only somewhat fake, folks. And uh, if you disagree with it, well, that's the way it is. <laughs> Welcome to It Is What It Is, the place where we have to keep a sharp mind every morning to ask the tough questions. 
and to have discussions that are eventually inconsequential. And like that, are you sick of those inconsequential choices? Are you sick of the mundanity of your actions? Well, have we got the product for you. We'll eventually eat them. But do you really want to? Welcome to It Is What It Is. <laughs> is it what it is? It is what it is. Starring... And Corbin. I'm Anthony. And today and we're talking... Uh, today we're talking over each other. <laughs> Did we want to? <laughs> do we care? Did we choose to do it? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs>